Hello and welcome to Deep Program on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, and I'm very excited about our guest today. I am going to be joined today by Odin from Odin's Movie Blog Reviews, who I've had the pleasure of getting to hang out with on Friday Night Tights. And I, I wanted to bring him on the show just to find out how he got started doing what he does. He is a critic who's also a cynic. You know that if you watch his reviews. He started doing YouTube back in May of 2018, covering the box office for Solo, a Star Wars story, and has since that time grown the channel into covering more movie news, doing weekly box office breakdowns, and doing movie reviews of current and classic films. He hosts the Welcome to Asgard live podcast every Tuesday and Saturday, and also makes videos for geeks and gamers. And as I said, he's a panelist on Friday Night Tights on Nerdrotic. Um, please welcome everyone, Odin. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Odin. It's going good. I made it through your bio. I told people, I'm like, hey, I had a little bit of brain fog. Just Odin knows that. And now you guys know it. So uh, post-COVID, I'm not operating at full capacity. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. And yeah, people are still, I think it's been almost a year since I uh, changed or updated the the channel name. And so there are still people who are still kind of, you know, struggling with, is it Odin's movie blog still or is it OMB reviews? And so it's, it's, it's been fun to hear whenever people, uh, you know, still don't quite I, know what it is. <laughs> I forgot. I remember reading Odin's movie blog, but I forgot. And so as I was reading this, the first time we had to redo guys, because I thought it was Odin's movie bombs reviews. I don't know. <laughs> what if you only reviewed the bombs? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, lately, a lot of the films, as far as box office concerned, are pretty much all bombs because of the massive budgets and little to no profit. Yeah. I saw one of your recent where you do the box office returns and you mentioned that the new Halloween movie is is on record to become maybe the first film during the pandemic to make its money back. In opening weekend, is that right? It's opening weekend, yeah. So there's been a couple of films that have been profitable, but really not many when you actually kind of look at all the films that have come out over the last year or so. But this will be the first film uh, potentially to actually on its opening weekend make its money back. So that's a pretty major feat for, for a film like this. What do you think has been happening? I mean, I know, obviously, people with the lockdowns, people are staying home, social distancing, all that. But do you think it's going to return? Like, will it ever be like it was before? Uh, I don't think so. I've, you know, I was saying this even before, uh, you know, before the pandemic hit that the theaters were already kind of going on a downward track uh, with obviously the advent of streaming, which has just been bolstered when people were forced to be at home. And a lot of these companies put a lot more money and attention into their streaming services. The theaters were already in kind of a bit of trouble there. And then add on top of that, people not being allowed to go. And then the limitations now on theaters in some states still where you can only have certain percentages. And when you buy a seat, they black out all the seats like around you, which is kind of nice. Like, I don't agree with it at all, but it's one of those things where it's like one of these unintended. Oh, no one's going to sit next to me at any <laughs> point. You know, it's like something where you kind of enjoy it. But at the same time, you know, it's going to have an impact on yeah. the theater as well. So I think there's going to be some films that will do similar numbers to what others have done in the past. I think Venom has been kind of a good example where it, it actually outdid the original films opening weekend domestically. It made 10 million more. Uh, so it's it's interesting to hear people always say, oh, the reason why these films aren't doing well is because of the pandemic and because people are afraid. And then you look at a film like Venom and it's like, wait a minute, then why did Venom 2 make 10 million more than the original that came out in 2018 long before? 
So mm-hmm. it's the kind of movies that are being released that I think has as much of an impact as some. I think there are some demographics for sure that are more afraid to go to a theater or other places than others, since Venom is more of a younger demographic and films like James Bond, for instance, No Time to Die is more of an older demographic. And that's one of the reasons why it actually they thought it was going to make 84 million and it only made 55. So well, <laughs> it's like, oh, it, yeah. Yeah, it's been crazy. That's a great point. And Halloween, obviously, horror film audiences don't care. Yeah. They're like, mostly. we'll go to the theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a, October. We got to go see something. I have a friend actually from New York who's visiting Texas this weekend. He said so he could go see Halloween at the theater and not have to wear a mask <laughs> <laughs> or be vaccinated. Oh, yeah. And that. Oh, man. Yeah. Because I would hate because I lived in New York, actually, for about four years. I did. Uh, I did college, my undergrad up in New York. And it was, you know, obviously at that time, very different, but I cannot imagine living there now with, with the, you know, with the mandates just to enter into some, some of the businesses or yeah, as you mentioned, like there are some theaters in certain places where you have to wear masks the whole time. And it's just insane to me to ever want to go. Like I, I actually didn't go back to a theater, uh, not because I wasn't comfortable, but until they lifted uh, the mandate enough so that at least when I'm sitting down, I don't have to wear one that right. uh, until that happened. I didn't go back because I was like, I'm not going to wear a mask while I'm watching a film. Like there's just, there's yeah. no logic to that. Yeah. I felt the same. I know it, th- it's a shame that the mask issue and even, and now the vaccine issue have become so politicized because it, it it's been used to cause such division and sort of where naturally, I don't think there would have been any prejudice or hatred over somebody else having a different position on it. Mm-hmm. The media did a great job of sewing that. So now I find that when you talk about it, you sort of have to say, well, I do this, but I'm okay with anybody who does this other thing. Like, you know, yeah. I didn't want to wear a mask, but if you do, it's okay. And like, it's a, of course. <laughs> like, it's sad that you course. have to do that, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. it, you thought you would think we're living in a society. We have people of all different backgrounds and we all have different thoughts and opinions on different things. And normally that would extend even to subjects like this. And yeah, you're right. The media, I think, has been a big component in people just consuming. Right. There's still this, uh, you know, typically is older demographic skewing that just consume everything that the media says and just assume that because they've been truthful in the past that they have to be truthful now. And it's really the younger generations, interestingly enough, as, you know, quote, woke that you know they seem to be that are actually more waking up to this nonsense because of them being fans of people like Joe Rogan like the recent yeah. Joe Rogan interview where he had the doctor from CNN on i think that's going to open up a lot of uh these younger people's eyes to say oh yeah this is a clear example of a news agency lying about somebody and the doctor had no good excuse had no good reason said i don't know why they yeah. did it. i don't know why they lied so yeah. That's a great point about Joe Rogan and CNN, because I think I think the younger generation is they grew up watching YouTubers. They're mm-hmm. more comfortable with new media. And that's why that's why old legacy media has been in such a desperate corporate media has been desperately trying to censor and silence channels. And then, you know, they changed their algorithm on YouTube to push up what they call authoritative content. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, it got to a place where if I was doing a search on YouTube for a particular video, sometimes even if I knew the YouTuber's name and the name of the video, I would have to go dig all the way to like page six of the search results to find it. Cause they would give me six pages of results from CNN and MSNBC and Fox and all these 
old media authoritative mm-hmm. sources. So-called, so, yes. <laughs> so-called. So so I think the younger generations used to watching new media, and, and that's maybe a great segue into how did you <laughs> start doing a movie review blog? And can, if you, for anybody who's not familiar with your channel, can you just sort of walk us through like what compelled you to start this and how long have you been doing it and, and how have you seen it grow? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I started before being on YouTube, I actually was doing of all things, it was a Tumblr blog. And the only reason why I used Tumblr was because it was straightforward and I was able to put posts out pretty easily. And so I started there just, you know, writing actual movie reviews. And then I would always every year do something known as Oscar bowling, which because I used to be a really big fan of the Oscars. I used to watch it all the time. I knew all the different histories. I knew, for instance, a fun fact that some people may not even know that if you don't get a editing nomination, there is a very little chance that you will win Best Picture at the Oscars Uh, because to get nominated for editing is almost there's like a 90 percent plus uh, basically correlation between best picture winners and nominations for editing. So again, this is the types of things that I, I, so you could really clean up during the, uh, the bets, the pools. Typically. Yeah. Cause I would, I would just consume everything. I'd go to these different sites. Like, uh, there's a site like for instance, gold derby that did a lot of these like, you know, talks of, uh, you know, the chances of different things. And I would, of course I would follow all the guilds too. Right. So what did SAG say would be a usually indicator of who's going to win for acting the DGA for directors. I used to care about that stuff. And so I would do Oscar bowling and I learned, actually, I picked that up from, uh, a great movie podcast that I used to listen to called Movie BS with Baron Snyder. And unfortunately, they they stopped doing their show about a you know year and a half ago when uh, things, you know, movies became less available. Basically, mm-hmm. they had very little to talk, to talk about um, and they decided just to, you know, to call it quits. So anyway, I, I started, though, with that. And so I picked up that game and I would did I did a couple things. I then started to record uh, actual podcasts, like actual audio podcast on uh you know, talking about movies, movie reviews, and I eventually started to move those over to uh, or wanting to rather film them live or rather film them to put them on YouTube. And what was my final motivating factor was actually Jeremy from Geeks and Gamers. So like during this time when I had been doing the reviewing on the website, on the Tumblr for about a year or two, I had also been doing a podcast with some friends to talking about just about random pop culture, you know, random nerd stuff as well. I was also in the process of discovering Geeks and Gamers. And it was through watching Geeks and Gamers that I finally got the motivation to actually start to put content out on YouTube specifically. And it was because I always knew of people like Jeremy Johns or Chris Stuckman or John Flickinger who had done movie review content and how polished and how it it, it just seemed very, uh, I guess you could say, um, you know, very not corporate, but very structured. You know, there was the, the, all of them have their own structures and it's all like clean editing and beautiful camera, you know, and audio and everything. And so I never thought that I could do it because that's just never been my style. I, I've never been a scripted person. I don't like to mm-hmm. follow off of a script or have to write a script. I hate writing. So I, I that's one of the reasons why I also switched over was because it meant, oh, I don't have to write my reviews anymore. I can just speak. And when I saw Jeremy, he would just speak off the cuff. Like he was clearly unscripted, just speaking his mind on various mm-hmm. things. At that time, it was Star Wars, uh, specifically Solo a Star Wars story. And as I mentioned, right in, the, in the, my bio, that's really one of the first videos I made uh, as far as doing it, you know, taking it more seriously was actually on the Solo 
box office and how there was this misconception, this lie being put out that the film was going to be successful. And then when we actually got numbers in, it was not successful and it ended up being one of the biggest flops in Disney's, you know, and rather in Star Wars history lost, I think close to a hundred million dollars. And so that's kind of like what got me started. And I started then to cover other things in the box office, but also did my movie reviews there too. And eventually I got connected with Jeremy from Kissing Gamers who saw my box office content especially and and knew that he wanted to have that kind of content on his channel and he liked that I was off the cuff like him and that I could speak and that I was putting out content that was uh, palatable and so he eventually contacted me and I started doing box office breakdowns every Sunday for Kissing Gamers all the way up until the uh, pandemic when movies stopped. Because with no movies, wow, there's no box yeah. office. And <laughs> so I've been kind of in this limbo where I'm still a part of the Geeks and Gamers team. And I've done stuff for the Park Hoppin' channel, for the Theme Park channel, because I also um, am a diehard uh, theme park or rather roller coaster fan. So I've been able to do some stuff for them. But uh, I think I'm finally soon going to go back to my box office breakdowns for them as well. Yeah. So I just heard about the Park Hopping channel because I got to mm-hmm. talk to Jay, Drunk3PO. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm like, what a job. You get to go to the theme parks and just report back. And I mean, I know I'm, I'm kidding. Cause I know that everything actually yeah. will become work when you start, but, at, but looking from the outside in, it's like, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I love report. it. Yeah. He's going live almost every week. It seems from typically from Disney, uh, but from just any theme park. And it's always great to, because he's running into people, you know, he's running into fans of Geeks and Gamers, fans of Park Hoppin', and he has really been, you know, what has led to, I think the channel is getting very close to 10,000 subscribers. And so for a theme park channel, especially, which yeah. was really his, his, it's been his baby and is his baby. It's awesome uh, to see the amount of work he's put in and also uh, the, you know, the results of it, uh, the results of mm-hmm. that hard work he's put in. Yeah, definitely. So Tell me a little bit about your channel growth when you started doing the videos. What have you seen? Have our people, I would say people are probably, my my assumption is people are hungry for authentic movie reviews from somebody who just gives it to you straight, who's not part of this elite old old school class of journalists. Is that the case? Is, is the audience like, have, have you seen a lot of growth? Yeah. So when I first started off, obviously I had maybe just a handful of subscribers. Uh, eventually when I got uh, connected with Geeks and Gamers, that's really when I started to see uh, like a, a lot of channel growth or at least a, a large exponential channel growth because I was able to you know plug my channel uh, mm-hmm. doing doing the videos on a much uh, larger platform. And that's something that I obviously owe a lot to uh, Jeremy, owe a lot to Geeks and Gamers for allowing that to to be a part of it. But yeah, one of the other things that really, I think, helped is how a lot of people, as you said, are just hungry for that kind of content where they are hungry for people that are just going to be real and are just going to be authentic yes. and don't come across as this corporate shill mentality that we see a lot. One of the first videos I made that that had over a thousand views, which still for me is is a lot uh, because I've always had a much smaller channel and following, which I've always appreciated because it means that I have a community that I actually know the people and can, can, people. can res- I can respond to them and I don't have to worry about being bogged down. But one of the first videos I did was actually talking about, of all people, uh, John Campia. 
and his takes on Star Wars and how much of what we see in the shill media coverage of whether it's Star Wars or any other major products really taints the vision. And it makes you call into question almost any review for any major film because yeah. you see, oh, they're being pampered by the studios. They're, they're being yes. brought out to the premieres. They're being given goodie bags. So even yes. if they give a middle of the road review, are they leaning more positive because of the experience? Because I think all of us could admit experience makes a big part of how we feel about a movie or about anything, right? If we go to a concert, if we go to, I'm a wrestling fan, if you go to a wrestling event, if you go to a movie and it's a bad experience, it's going to have an impact on how you feel about the yeah. film or about the overall experience in general. And it's going to make you less objective um, or it's going to have an impact at least on your objectivity. So I think that because of what we've been able to do with Geeks and Gamers and obviously by extension also Friday Night Tights, which eventually uh, developed too, is we've been able to kind of expose this this the shill mentality in, in entertainment and in all these other areas. I mean, because obviously Friday Night Tights, we talk not just about entertainment and nerd stuff, but we also have every now and then talks about what's going on in the real world. And we, yes. again, like, try to expose uh, the nonsense of what mainstream media puts out there and how a lot of them can be compromised too because of big corporate media interest. Yeah, that happens. I think that's just na a natural occurrence that happens because you're being wined and dined. You know, like you said, the studios send out goodie bags, they pamper you, they give you special screenings. They, when I, even on a small scale, when I worked in entertainment uh, as a comedy manager, I had relationships with a lot of journalists, uh, woke journalists, because most of my comedians were woke. And so I found journalists who I knew had the same ideology. And then we treated them really great. We would invite them to special premieres. We would give them backstage access. They got to come to meet and greets. They got to be rub shoulders with and be friends. See, in, some, in some cases, become friends with the comics they adored. And then, it, and then of course, you're getting great reviews from them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I hate yeah. like, to admit this, but it just like happens. So I think there's something cool about uh, the authenticity of someone who's like, look, I'm just a dad <laughs> and I'm reporting from my living room. And here's what I think about this. And it's not, I'm not part of this machine, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's been cool is because of you know, having a smaller community, but also a very dedicated and loving community because of their support through things like, you know, Patreon, Subscribestar uh, and various just donations, just wanting to support the work I do. I've been able to upgrade things like my, my audio setup. And it's funny because I always think about how I have this audio setup where I think that if other people had the same setups that I do or had the ability to to like to build their own computer. I, I was able to build my, literally build my own computer because of the wow. generosity of of the community that typically you would have a very different type of channel. You would have a very yeah. different type of. But what I've seen is that if you look at my first video to my current video, that though the quality has changed, the, the content is still very similar. The tone yeah. is still very similar. And obviously I've become more comfortable. And so that I think has changed, but the actual content itself is very similar. And that type of consistency has always been something that I've always been, um, always wanted to try and emulate in my life is to be consistent. Um, especially if what I believe what I'm doing is, is important is, is in some cases what I think the correct or right thing to do. And I, I think that a, a lot of other people would, you know, get to the point where they have the stuff that, that I have access to. And then that's when they would change. And I think that we've seen that happen with some people where, for instance, I, I look to groups like, you know, talking about movie reviews, groups like the Schmoes, 
where I used to watch their reviews all the time because they were just regular everyday dudes talking about movies. They got big. They got uh, a lot of attention, a lot of subscribers, a lot of money. They then were able to get their own studio. And now I look to their content and I'm like, this is not the same. This is not the same channel at all. Yeah, I think that happens with I saw that happen with comedians, too, and or with any uh, artist or entertainer. If you if you reach a certain degree of fame and notoriety or you have to sort of be grounded beforehand because Mm -hmm. it's really easy to lose yourself and maybe also to even lose enjoyment in what you were doing. I don't know this movie blog you're talking about, but it could be that it's time for them to evolve and do something else because they're tired of doing this thing but they believe this is where their bread's buttered and they have to keep doing it this way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When people get locked into something and they're afraid of growth and change. And they're like, I have to do, have to tap dance in this way. Cause this is what got me famous mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. I can't change. Cause this is what I, I had a comic once who it just at some point just got locked into this one note kind of comedy and couldn't seem to evolve beyond it because that was what that comedian was known for. And it was like, Oh, but you can, you don't have to stay locked into this thing that maybe used to give you pleasure and now doesn't anymore because you're tired of it and it's yeah. time to move on. So, uh, well, speaking of that, I-, I wanted to ask you on Friday Night Tights when we hang out and stuff, it's kind of funny. I think there are a few, uh, in terms of belief systems, there's a few believers on there. There's a few Christians there, but you're known as like, you're sort of known as like the Christian. <laughs> Even though other people might be yeah. Christian. <laughs> it so is funny that? that, yeah, because I, yeah, you're, I think you're correct. If I were to ask like the panel, like raise your hand if you believe in Jesus Christ, that there would be a few hands that would act, be risen. But yeah, it is funny how I am, yeah, I am known as the Christian or the like token Christian, the guy in that capacity. It's interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> I think you brought that, that up because. Yeah. How does how does your faith inform what you do? Obviously, you're open about it. Maybe that's why you're known. How does your faith inform what you do? And do you ever uh, do you ever find it limiting? I know some people who are. Not, I'm asking this question because we have a, a really diverse audience in terms of belief systems, and um, sometimes I encounter people who think that, like I used to think that my that Christianity was limiting, and I don't think of it that way anymore. But I'm curious, do you find it, do you find it restrictive? Do you, how does it inform your work and how did you get to be known as the Christian? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't, I, yeah, I don't find it really restrictive at all in, in certain ways because similar to you, I, my audience as well, it's not all because, you know, I, you know, I'm always very clear about how I am a very proud Catholic. I'm very proud of, of being a Catholic and of my Catholic faith. And I have a lot of people in my audience that are non-Catholic. I have a lot of people in my audience that are atheist. I have a lot of people in my audience that are pagan, uh, all different branches. Uh, there is someone where uh, his name, his channel name is literally your Muslim uncle. And <laughs> so like I have people from all different faith backgrounds. And one of the things that they always appreciate, especially from the live stream discussions, is that I'm willing to have conversations and I'm willing to talk to people. And even though I will never you know, sway on my own you know, personal beliefs, I'm still willing to have that discussion. And I think that the reason why I've become known as the Christian on the show <laughs> is because I do try the the best that I can to live out my my Catholic values. So that's why out of everyone on the panel, I am probably one of the very few. I, again, I, I'm sure there's been exceptions where there's been a few shows, but I'm usually the one that I don't curse. It's not something I do. Yeah. 
And uh, that actually started when I was doing YouTube because I've been a, uh, for those that don't know, I'm a teacher. Uh, so I'm, I'm a Catholic teacher. And so one of the things that I always wanted to make sure was anything I put out as far as content is concerned, that if a, a student were to find it, that they would not be scandalized, that they would not say, oh, you know, this guy is saying one thing here, but then all of a sudden they're over here and they're acting totally differently or, or they're speaking in a way that they say that, you know, saying like, so we can't talk this way, right? Cursing anything. And so one of the things that I've always done is I've always been like, and actually it's helped me a lot, I think, to actually grow more consistent also in my faith because I grew up with a, a lot of friends from all different faith backgrounds. And I would notice when I was with certain groups who would speak a certain way, sometimes I would adopt that way of speaking. And being and having the channel now since 2018, uh, so it's just crazy going on almost four years now, has been helping me a lot because I'm more aware of when I'm speaking, like what I'm saying. And it, I think, has had an impact. So I think that actually might be the biggest reason as to why I'm known. Also, my reactions. I, I've become notorious for when certain things are said that are incredibly inappropriate, which we all know on Friday Night Tights happens on <laughs> a regular basis, that they'll just see me like, you know, my, my you know, my hand will go yeah. in my face or I'll like shrink away or, you know, sometimes, you know, I have my, my rosary <laughs> next to me and I have it's like, sometimes like, I'll just like be holding on to these things. Just like, Oh God, give me strength. And so, um, do you ever slowly just disappear off camera? Yeah. <laughs> never done. Yeah. I've never done the Homer Simpson, right. Falling into the, into the bush in the background. But yeah, it's, it's, so I think that has been another reason why, and it's fun because there are a few people in the Friday Night Tice audience who feel very similar um, and so they're like, you know, like, please Odin pray, you know, pray, pray for these guys and pray for us. And it's like, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so I think that might be a part of, of it, but I don't find it limiting. Cause some might say, well, isn't your speech being limited, limiting you? And it's no, it just makes me think before I speak, which I think is actually a, a benefit. And it makes me more aware of what I'm saying and have to come up with, um, you know, more, I guess, less colorful ways of speaking, but it's actually just led to me having it be adapted into my everyday life as well. So it's actually been a benefit to me because it helps me just in my regular everyday discussion, whether I'm out of school or off of YouTube speaking in the same way and watching yeah. what I say. So this is one of the, what you're talking about is one of the uh, mind flips that happened for me. Uh, I went to hear a lecture by an author who Oh, you are what you love. James K. Smith. I don't know if you heard of him. And he, he was talking about St. Augustine and about boundaries and about freedom. And, and so he was the first person who helped me. It was a few years ago to start to think about freedom differently because mm -hmm. I had always thought of, of restrictions as simply being restrictions, less freedom. And he helped me to understand how sometimes boundaries and restrictions provide you much more freedom. And so, for example, he would say one, uh, I don't think he said this, someone else said this at the, at the talk, but they were talking about artists and they were talking about postmodern art, which oftentimes you'll see, at least I've seen artists who don't seem to have any talent whatsoever, throw a bunch of paint splatters on a wall and call that art. And they're like, look, see, I'm breaking all the rules, but they don't actually know the rules or they can't abide within the rules. And so he, it, it, you could think about it like if an artist has mastered all the techniques, has has knows what the rules are, then you can break them with such a high degree of creativity and freedom. It gives you more freedom to know what the boundaries are. And and 
thinking about that in terms of the way that we live, one example is I don't drink anymore. I'm sober yeah. almost two years. So that's awesome. The, thank you. The old me would have looked at that and said, that's so restrictive. You can't have alcohol. But the way I look at it now is I have so much more freedom now because of that boundary. There's so many more things I can do because of that boundary. And you're choosing that boundary. You're saying, this is something I am choosing to do. And so I can look at you, with, I guess, with cursing, and I can maybe see it that way, even though I do curse, that if I were, and I try to limit it, I think maybe I'm trying to limit it for the same reasons as you, because sometimes I think it can be a crutch. And then you're not using, like you said, you're using your brain more, you're trying to be more creative. And and uh, sometimes you can just fall back on that language uh, to, I want to emphasize this, let me throw in exactly. that word. It you becomes know. more of a filler in a lot of ways. And if you're having to put filler words in, sometimes that can be indicative of not having a completed thought or that there might be more to it that you could talk about. But instead of going basically instead of your brain, as you were kind of talking about with having restrictions, instead of your brain recognizing, oh, maybe there's a better way to say that it opens up the avenue to go into another level, right, to take it mm -hmm. to another level rather. And so it actually leads to more, I think, thoughtful discussion uh, because of that. And I'm actually happy you mentioned about um, about for you with it being for drinking, because I've I also I've, I've been straight edge since uh, college. I, I've never really ever fallen into that kind of culture before. The last drink I had was actually the day after my 21st birthday. I had nothing oh, wow. on my I had nothing on my 21st birthday um, and, and now I'm 33. So I, I had nothing on my 21st birthday just out of principle because people were always saying, Oh, you got to go out and get drunk and everything. It's like, no, I, I've never really fallen into that. And I've never been drunk in my life. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've uh, never been high. I've never tried any illegal drugs. And some people like, you know, look at that and they say, it's like, Oh, then you haven't really had any fun. It's like, no, I've learned how to have fun through other things. And also guess what? There's other things that, that, that are vices, right? There's a lot of things. I mean, almost anything, the fact that you think about something like gambling, right. can be a vice for, mm -hmm. for certain people. Like almost anything can be a vice for, for somebody. So, you know, I, I connect with that on that level too, because not many people I feel, um, typically are, are going to be able to wanting to give up. But I, I call myself uh, straight edge because of how I, again, I don't feel the need for that kind of stuff. See, and here's what I hear when, when I hear that is that you acquired wisdom, in, a, in my opinion, at a much younger age than I did. And you're also someone who can take, maybe you're not, but I hear that and I immediately think, okay, so he's someone who can take the accumulated wisdom from generations and say, look, if everyone says that it's best to live this way, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Whereas I did do all those things. <laughs> I am so, so stubborn and insisted on, no, I can find the best way to live. And then, <laughs> and then it totally put me on my ass. Sorry. Use the curse word, put me on my bum. And then, and then I'm like reading the Bible a few years ago and looking at it going, huh, like here's some rules to live by. Maybe I should have just saved myself <laughs> all the heartache. <laughs> also, I'm glad I'm glad that you did use the word ass because people oftentimes forget that that word is actually in scripture. Uh, so oh, I, okay. <laughs> so it's one of the words there I, I will use it. The, the phrase that I like to use a lot is is, is an ass hat. That's that's the word I like to use ah, a lot that's a good uh, word. because it's it's a very good word. It, it fits a lot of different categories. And as I always like to point out, it's like, yeah, well, it, it also is a word that's in scripture. So, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, hey, I feel like it's 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 appropriate. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think that you're you're absolutely uh, 
spot on there, especially with what the analogy you're making before about art. We see it in movies. What most people consider, I think what if you ask any person um, in general who is a movie fan and movie buff, what is the best movie ever made or when was the best decade for film? And you're going to have two camps. You're going to have some people that will say 60s, 70s post code era filmmaking, mm. whereas I think you'll find a lot of others. And in fact, I would say at least half of others saying, oh, 1940s and 50s during the code era. Hey. And I think what you'll find in both camps, though, is even if someone thinks some, the best decade was in the 70s or was in the 80s, they will still admit that some of the best films of all time came out during the 40s and 50s. And we have to remember there were certain things that they could not do in those movies because of the code of which was actually very heavily influenced by the Catholic Church in America. And wow. people oftentimes forget about it. But you but what you, you kind of made, I think, again, that brilliant point of when there are rules, it means you now have to be that much more creative if you want to move past them. Right. Yes. And so it forces you to be more creative. And that's why I look to films made during the 40s and 50s and say, why don't we make movies like that anymore? Oh, because there aren't as many rules. There aren't as many restrictions. Yeah. And it leads to a lot of just mindless entertainment that Can really you, doesn't have creativity. I I I agree. And I would hope. Um, here's where my brain fog's coming in. I have two yeah. questions I want to ask you. Which do I do first? Okay. Yeah. So, so can you just tell people a little bit about those codes if they're not familiar? I only know about them because uh, it, at, at Duke University, when I was becoming a social justice warrior and being indoctrinated, I took a, a porn class. Um, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was in queer theory and the class was something about the heterosexist gays and porn. And we started with some old films during, that were made during code. I think like Gilda might've been made then we started with something mm. like that. And then we worked our way up to porn, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I learned about during that class was, was the codes that you're talking about. And I don't think everybody's familiar with these. They had rules. The motion picture association had rules for what could be shown on screen. And from what I recall, didn't they have rules about like if a woman committed adultery, she had to die or did they have rules like that? Could, yeah. Could you tell essentially me? in order for any film to be made, you can almost like in kind of a modern context, it was almost, but obviously with, without the mass murder, uh, similar to communist China where there are censors and the film has to get past the censors before it can be put out into a theater. And so we uh, look to a film nowadays and what's at the end of almost every major motion picture MPAA, right? And so that stamp of approval, it may have been a little bit different uh, at that time, but there basically there was a stamp of approval. So for any film to get that stamp, it had to go through essentially censors. And yeah, there were these different rules about the language that you could use, uh, what kind of violence you could use, how much skin could you show? I mean, what's one of the best films of all time? Psycho. One of the things that's not known is why it was shot the way it was during the murder scene in the shower. It was shot that way because they could not show skin of, again, they could not show a naked woman or even semi like even that film was actually very much pushing up against the code because you had a woman in a bra and because you did see uh, though out of focus uh, skin of the lead actress in in that movie but the reason why it was cut that way which most people i think today would look at that and say oh that's brilliant it was brilliant the way they did it because the it actually scene. built the tension right well guess yeah. what they had to do it that way because they couldn't show 
And it actually ended up leading to, I think, a better final product because of yeah. what they were limited to. So yeah, basically uh, in the early code days, it was you had to get that stamp of approval in order to be shown in an actual theater. Otherwise you were listed as, you know, like again, basically like X or smut or, you know, like again, you weren't seen as legitimate. So no one would see your films. They were still being made, but you wouldn't let, you know, no one would actually be able to see them. And then eventually it moved to, you know, where the code fell away, you fell into this new rating system, which has a similar impact, but not nearly as much. Right. But the rating system yeah. itself is still somewhat restrictive because if you put that R label on something, then legally speaking, you have to be a certain age to be able to see it on your own yeah. volition. So, uh, but yeah, so there's a lot of stuff I don't know. So obviously anyone listening might know a lot yeah. more about the code than I do, but essentially it was a, it had to get approved and it got that stamp of approval in order to be allowed to be shown in theaters. That's that. Whenever I'm reminded of that, it's just amazing to me how far we've come yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a different, because it, this, I see the same thing in music. So in one of my gig jobs, I, uh, not to be specific about what it is, but I get to hear a lot of uh, popular music and uh, young younger people are usually playing, you know, whatever during the day. And I, here's something I noticed. So Music has always been, has always talked about sex, you know, has always talked about certain topics, but I, th I think it used to, used to have to be more creative. So like the blues, for example, they talked about sex a lot, but you had to be pretty creative about using euphemisms. Like I need some sugar in my bowl or put your hot dog in my butt or whatever. <laughs> but now the, it's so boring because they're, I think it's because of that lack of boundaries where people just keep pushing the envelope, but the envelope's already off the table. So they just have to keep getting more crass and it doesn't have the same effect. It's literally like, put your body part in my body part. And they're like saying the name It's like, okay, that leaves nothing to the imagination. There's no creativity in my opinion. It's just kind yeah. of like, why do you want to listen to this? Listen to something that's still got the same in you, but, but, but it still has the same, uh, uh, focus or subject matter that mm -hmm. has more innuendo is requiring you know maybe a little more humor to it as well but yeah you know what the know. sad thing too is is that you know you you mentioned that and yet what we find ourselves is we find in modern music not only do you have this very clear non-innuendo non-creative but also these same songs are being written by committee they're being written by <sighs> several writers and that's yeah. the best they can come up with also the music itself is being developed by committee so it's not like you have someone creating this awesome unique beat that's catchy because of their creativity it's because probably of nowadays with an algorithm or something like something similar to that where they're able to produce something they know will be catchy so the lyrics don't really matter whereas you go back to you know the early blues jazz early rock and roll and you had one two writers who not only wrote the song, but also by a very much smaller margin were the ones that actually wrote the music to it as well. And yeah, I think that there's a clear uh, separation between the ingenuity, the creativity of the older music styles that we have versus what we have nowadays. Um, yeah. You know, I tell, I tell my students all the time, the two genres I cannot stand in modern music are rap and country. And so the second <laughs> one... The what second one kind of triggers some like because both of them will trigger them for different reasons. But especially now that I, I live in the great state of Tennessee, it, it's it's a lot more uh, a lot more like, what do you mean you don't like country? And it's like it's modern stuff. Like If we're talking Johnny Cash, which some might label as country in modern terms, 
then no, obviously I, I, I like Johnny Cash and I think that he is one of those creative minds okay, who, you know, was able, <laughs> oh yeah, so modern, when I say that I mean more modern country, modern, modern rap. So yeah. I was, I was going to make that distinction as well. Cause I love old country. It's the best. It's like the classic and, and even the outlaw country, I think was still, you had people, um, they were innovators mm-hmm. and you can't get that with a committee. You can't get that with, and what's on the radio today I feel sad for people listening the country music of today because it's, I agree with you, actually. It's just sort of, it seems like it's algorithm generated. Yeah. Um, you know, every country song you'll hear today will mention a pickup truck, a white t-shirt, something about America, something about beer, something about God. Like one of those five things will be in every modern country song. Do you know the comedian, uh, Bo Burnham? Is that his name? I, I know of him, but I don't, I've not listened to enough specials to say I'm like a fan or anything. Like he's that. got a bit. He's got a bit about a country song and it's called Pandering. And it's hilarious because he mentions all those things you just mentioned in the song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's true. I mean, it, we laugh because of how just true it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, can we backtrack for a second? Yeah. I want to I want to ask you or this may not be of interest to some, some of the audience, but it's a great interest to me. So do you believe as a Catholic, do you believe that cursing is wrong or bad or somehow bad for you? Is that why you don't curse? So or do you believe is, the Bible's against it? So yeah, when we look to the commandments, right, that shall not take the Lord's name in vain. What we understand in, in the Christian context and, you know, you know, further by the Catholic context by that is that it means that there are certain words, there's certain language that we use, which clearly has an impact. And we know that language is very much culturally based, right? Certain words that are offensive in certain cultures are not offensive in other cultures, for instance, right? So how can we say there's an objective reality to something that seems in some cases, at least to be somewhat subjective in how certain language is, is uh, seemed or deemed to be appropriate or not. And I think that's kind of where we find that truth though. If we know there is a word that is going to be offensive to someone or to, um, in every case, no matter what, right, to use the Lord's name in vain is going to fit that category. But other words, you know, whether it's the F word or things like that, we know that in general, if you were to say the F word in public, most people would look at you and say, um, what? Or they get uncomfortable or there'd be something because there's a meaning behind it, right? And mm-hmm. the meaning behind it is an incredibly negative in connotation. And typically you don't say that word unless you're trying to get across a certain message. You're trying to get across a certain meeting. And so I think it's really that intention that is the reason why it takes on that level of, of sinfulness is, is the intention behind it specifically. When it comes to the Lord's name in vain, that is something where it's the name itself. So intention or not, right? That is something where it's very clear about the, you know, the, to use God's name in a proper way, in a proper context and to not profane it. Whereas the other language that we use, sometimes it's basically a way for us to substitute God's name. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we might be thinking it or intending it, but we're trying to come up with something else to say. And so, you know, if we're using language of any kind to degrade somebody or to treat someone in a bad way, as I said, right, that intention behind it, that's when language other than God's name can become, uh, can lead into sin uh, specifically. So that, that's where my own uh, approach on that. Cause there was also something else that we had mentioned before. And I was, I was going to say, I totally agree. Cause even from, you were mentioned uh, St. Augustine and um, there's a, a concept that you had seen in a talk 
um, that song, um, I forgot about what it was. freedom within boundaries. Yes. So freedom within bound. And so that's also very much a, a, a Catholic perspective as well. And this is something that I always try and get across to my students that when we follow God's law, it actually creates freedom for us because it allows us to be who we are, to who be who we truly are, who we are really all called to be. You know, if we just live the way that we want, it might seem like we have freedom, but in the end, it's just a false sense of freedom. It's a false sense of what we think is freedom when true freedom is the right to act in the way that we were called to in the way that we are built to act. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's important for us to always understand that to live by the commandments is, again, it might seem restrictive, and yet it allows us kind of with the creative lens we've talked about with these other mediums to actually be who we truly are. It allows films to be the very best that they can be. These laws also allow us as humans to be the best human that we can be as well in a similar mm -hmm. way. I believe that to be true just based on the my life experience, uh, especially over the past few years compared to the many years that preceded <laughs> the past few. Yeah. But yeah, because something that happens is let's say, let's say you're talking about um, alcohol for some people, or maybe some other addiction or something. A lot of times habits become compulsions yeah. or crutches. If it's something small, in my opinion, like cursing, but that could become a crutch similar to a compulsion, mm -hmm. but, but let's say habits like alcohol or gambling or porn or these things that a lot of times I think our culture tells us these are ways to, you know, uh, exercise freedom to dabble in these things, experiment, see what works for you, that kind of thing. But at, at a certain point for a lot of people, maybe not all people, but for a lot of people, some of these things end up becoming compulsions and you become slaves to them. Yeah. And then where's your freedom? Because you're, you're constantly pushing the envelope further and further. When I lived in California, uh, I saw this a lot when it came to sex that people had and I, I didn't see it for what it was until I, I left until I started to change my mind about a lot of things. And, but when I was in it, I, I watched as people just kept pursuing, like trying to get further and further out there on the edge, but there's no boundary. And so yeah. where does that lead you? And it, it I, I thought I could kind of see people becoming slaves just to hedonism sort mm -hmm. of with no getting getting less and less pleasure out of their behaviors anyway and having to try and find something more extreme and and that for me that's not freedom so yeah. no there's <laughs> so much truth to 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 everything you just said because it, it when you have no limits what you basically do and obviously as as a spiritual person i this is how i think of it you open yourself up to uh demonic or satanic influence, basically, where mm -hmm. things that on the surface on what they actually are might not be bad, right? Not might not be evil in and of themselves or may not be as bad as they could be. So for instance, a glass of beer, there's nothing intrinsically bad or evil about it. But these things can become so corrupt that they do become evil, that they do become bad, right? Because we diminish with the case of alcohol when we become drunk, what we're doing through drunk, the reason why drunkenness itself is sinful is not because it's just arbitrarily you can't get drunk. It's no, what does drunkenness do? It, it, it clouds the mind. 
it yeah. clouds the intellect. That thing which we have been given by may, being made in the image of God is our intellect. What we're doing is we are literally almost damaging it, even if it's just temporarily. We're limiting its capacity. And that's where the sinfulness comes in, because it allows us to then be more open to doing things that we otherwise wouldn't do. It hurts our ability to think. And it could also end up leading to long-term damage or in the case, as you mentioned, addiction as well. And that, I think, I think, is something that we often don't talk about enough in our modern world. Yeah, I think it's it's that it can become an idol for some people. And, and it did for me. And also that it that it could, it, it makes it easier for people to give into the temptations, what's called the temptations of the flesh, right? Yeah. Which which there are other things that I heard a sermon when I first started, when God first started pulling me to him and I was like, no, I was really trying not to <laughs> become a Christian, yeah. but uh, he kept pulling me and I was going on this journey and, and I tried all kinds of different churches and I was at the Southern Baptist church in mm. here. Once I'd gotten here to Texas, um, I went, I only went to this church once, I think once or twice, but they were pretty hellfire and brimstone. And the kind of thing that in the past I've, I would have definitely been judgmental about and thought like, that's so restrictive, but I actually got something out of this sermon. The sermon, I, re I re recall the preacher was talking about how none of their deacons are allowed to have like one-on-one -on -one meetings with women. And now from the, from a non-Christian perspective or from, you know, it sounds like, Oh, that's so sexist. And that's so, you know, you, you have such little, you hold your deacons in such little esteem that you think they, they, couldn't be able to do that. And he was like, but why, why put yourself in that tempting position? Why even put yourself there? Because you may not have a problem with, you may not be tempted by the flesh, but why put your, why try? Like, why not just have this rule? And I was like, that's kind of cool. Like mm -hmm. I, I sort of started to look at things differently. And now, especially what's weird is that I've noticed and have, have you noticed this? The woke have gone there too. Now the woke mm -hmm. no longer, the men don't want to meet alone with women because not because of, of, preventing temptation, but because they're afraid of what they might be accused of later. The hashtag me too movement has <laughs> yes. a huge impact on this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, great shows like South Park, for instance, have even done commentaries on this where, uh, for instance, when they have NPC principal, uh, you know, he's living in like this almost like college or maybe it wasn't, it was similar to, or in the same vein as NPC. I can't remember if it was him or if it was someone else there was some basically fraternity atmosphere that was showed on the on the show. And what happened is that they were walking around the halls and saying, all right, I need everyone's consent forms, please. I need everyone's consent forms. So basically, before they did anything with the girls at the party, they all had to sign and fill out consent forms. And it was meant to be kind of a commentary on that. That's kind of where the society <laughs> yes. has been moving. Right. Is that, you know, and and so those are the kinds of reasons why those types of rules exist. I remember uh, Mike Pence got attacked a lot lot because he at one point yes. said i will not ever be alone in a room with a woman that is not my wife because I'm and people man. were like like oh are you saying that you would do something and it's like no it's just similar to what you said it was why would i even want to put myself in the position where one a temptation might exist or two a position where someone could make an accusation that could be false and there right. would be a oh well you were alone with them for this time and no one else was in there and I think that that's kind of we're seeing like the crossing of these different things and the impact that it's having on our society. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think overall people just have too many opinions about other people's decisions for their own personal <laughs> behavior. Yeah. It's like, who cares if he doesn't want to sit alone with, because he's married, he doesn't want to be alone with women. Like that's his choice. <laughs> Why do you have to have an opinion on that? Yeah, he's, not, he's not hurting anybody by this, you know, he's, he's, he didn't say, oh, it's because I don't trust women or like he didn't yeah. say anything, you know, people imply or, or, or try to insinuate the reasons why uh, people do the things that they do. You know, it's yeah. similar to how people of faith, right, are oftentimes put in the perspective of, oh, why, why do they follow this faith? Why is it that they believe this specific thing? There must be some deep seated reason as to why they, they've they fallen into that or, or they said this word about, you know, mistakes in the past. What kind of mistakes did they make? You know, so they, they use it as an attack weapon uh, against yeah. the person. It's funny in a way, it's almost as if uh, the people who've who've fallen in with this sort of hedonism as maybe as a, as a religion or as a God, um, it's not enough for them to have the freedom to practice hedonism. They want you to as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, exactly. why aren't you doing what I'm doing? And I've, I've yeah. even seen this in terms of infiltrating churches. Like there seem to be a lot of the woke online who uh, are really upset that people have, different belief systems than they do and have a place where they go and practice this. And it's like, no, you must, I must change your church from the inside out. It's like, why, why can't you just go do what you want to do? <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, there's so much truth to that. Right. Cause it's, it's almost like the, you know, you will accept me. And it's like, okay, well, if you're forcing me to it, is it really acceptance at that yeah. point? Right. It's, 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 it's insane, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause you've seen almost every, especially from, from, from Christianity, almost every major Christian church, even including the Catholic church, there has been these infiltrations of certain ideas and certain concepts and even certain people that have led to a lot of confusion and, and yeah. a lot of doubt and a lot of really destruction of, of the lives of, of the faith lives of people in, in different denominations. It's, it's kind of interesting to see all this play out all around the same period of time. But then again, when we're living in a time when we can't even point out biological facts about men and women, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that we're in the situation that we are now. It's a time of great deceit. Yeah. Do, do you think that there's something, I ask this question of, of lots of people. I'm always curious about what people think. It, do you think there's something about, Christianity or Catholicism, maybe specifically either one as a whole, or however you want to answer this. Do you think there's something about Christianity that makes it susceptible to being infiltrated by woke ideology? I do because it's, it's, it's public enemy. Number one, uh, if we talk about it from a, from a spiritual lens, you know, clearly it is the number one opponent of uh, the demonic, right? It's the number one opponent of Satan. And so it makes sense that Satan would influence others to uh, try and take it down by whatever means necessary. And then in the uh, temporal order, in the temporal world, remember, what was the action done in the early church to try and destroy it? Oh, let's kill them. Let's destroy them physically. And what happened, more and more people joined you know, martyrs were created and cults around those martyrs, right? The celebration of their sacrifice, the the lives that they lived seeing being seen as heroic, it it brought more people into the church. That's this old saying, but it's so true, is that uh martyrs are essentially martyrs are the seed of the church, right? It's through the death of martyrs that we actually see the propagation of more and more people in the life of the church. And what have we seen now since uh, really the Enlightenment, since the Reformation times um, and French Revolution and, and things like that? What we've seen is now the strategy has changed. Now it's, oh, we can't destroy the church if we kill them. 
we can't destroy them if we do that because mm. we can kill them physically, but we cannot kill them spiritually. And so now it's a, okay, now we realize we got to take these things down from the inside because that's the only it's way so that we're going to be able to true. take down the physical uh, structures. I mean, it's just like with anyone, if they're willing to die for their faith, guess what? You can't kill their faith. You can kill them, yes. but you can't kill their faith. And so it's the same in, in the church as well. It's exactly, I think, what's happened on the whole in terms of this ideology moving into every institution, whether it's educational institutions or politics or what have you in the United States. Are you familiar with, on, there's a lot of his interviews up on YouTube, Yuri Bezmanov. Uh, I know of the name, but I haven't seen enough of his own so Thoughts. you should check him out. I think you would really appreciate some of his interviews. He He's a former KGB operative, and he did a mm. series of interviews in the 80s where he was talking about how we don't have to fight you if we can conquer you from within and you conquer yourself. And mm -hmm. he sort of was talking about the long th march through the institutions and seeding, like putting Marxist ideology in all of the American institutions, which you're kind of, I, I believe, I'm one of the people who believes we're seeing the fruits of all that now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's, you're right. That's exactly, that's what's happened, I think, on a large scale and also right in the church. Yeah. And I think I've heard uh, the name mentioned because there's a, a workout now, uh, came out a couple of years ago called Infiltration uh, by a Dr. Taylor Marshall, who is a Catholic apologist. And he kind of takes this back all the way to the beginning of the Freemasonic, um, like Freemason origins, basically, and how there was a plan started at that time when they recognized and realized, okay, we cannot destroy this from the outside. It has to be from within. And also that during this process that there were, there's actually been confirmation. I, I forget who it was who admitted, maybe even it was uh, Besmanov, but that there were communist agents that were implanted in the church. Oh that my there goodness, was, I want to read this. That there actually was a a plan in during communist times to put people into uh, seminaries and to try and help build them to eventually get to the point of being ordained priest and eventually bishop. So basically, it, and it's all led to really where we find ourselves in the modern church and the modern times where we're finding a lot of people in, in higher authority really uh, impacted whether they themselves necessarily, not, not to say that all of them are agents of the KGB or agents of the communist state, but rather right. that the ideas at least have infiltrated enough seminaries where, again, the faith is learned and taught again. that it's impacted then how the faith is taught. And that is where they have found, I, I think really at this point, the most success in driving people um, away and trying to tear down. Yes, because ideology is like a living thing. You can think of yeah. it because pe people who like Marx is dead, but his beliefs still live on and they evolve and they change and they get, today. you know, yeah, look today. And so the vaxxed versus I, the unvaxxed, that's that's where we're being put. I think you're exactly right. I really appreciate you being willing to talk about some go off on this religious tangent with me because oh, yeah. I don't always get to do it. And I'm really curious also speaking with someone who's Catholic who I know there's like some differences in faith and mm -hmm. um the cursing question, come back to that one more. I don't actually yeah. think it's I guess I don't think of it as a sin except for mm. using the Lord's name specifically in vain. But I've also thought about that verse. Maybe I think of that verse a little in the abstract because I've really started to notice people who people in the church who who use God's name to push something that's antithetical to the gospel. Mm -hmm. That to me is 
that's the epitome of taking the Lord's name in vain. The people who like the woke preachers, the ones who are pushing critical race theory and pushing mm-hmm. social justice and saying that this is Christianity, that we should all judge and treat people differently on the basis of race and sex. And that this is, this is Christianity that offends me. That makes me so angry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I get, I get like beast mode carry because I'm yeah. like, that's not, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's, yeah. that's the way I think of that. And so, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I think so much of that is happening, but I also on the silver lining is, I don't know about in the Catholic church, but I go to a non-denominational church now. I did, I did go to a Catholic church for a while. I really enjoyed it when I was in my journey, you know, um, but I didn't, I didn't stay there anyway, where I'm at now. I think what we're seeing is um, the wheat being separated from the mm-hmm. uh, chaff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I wasn't a Christian during the past 20 years or so. And I don't know the evolution but from what, where I'm standing now looking at it, it seems to me that the church kind of became weak. And, and so this sort of corporate and maybe the sole prosperity gospel thing where it's like, how can the church serve me or how can God serve me <laughs> instead of me serving God? Yeah. And so now with this crisis point that we're at in culture, it's maybe a good thing because it, everything's getting separated. Really, it's like we're burning off the the dead weight. We're burning off the dead branches and yeah. the dead wood, as Jordan Peterson talks about. And it's like purity through fire and good. Let it separate. That's the way mm-hmm. I view it. Let the like my church. We're led by lions. I mean, like that's the kind of church I want to be at. I don't need to be at something where I'm getting the same old woke hedonistic garbage that I got out in the world. Why would I want that just with Jesus stamped on it? (laughs) Yeah, no, and we're seeing a a similar, really a separation of, of, of weed and chaff, I think also with it, with even in the Catholic church itself. Are you? Um, Because I, I I call myself a traditional Catholic, um, which, you know, might be confusing because, you know, when you think about the Catholic church, you think about the one Catholic church, right? So, you know, there's only one, but within the Catholic church herself, there are obviously those that would call themselves more Orthodox, more traditional in their understanding of, of the church. And then there are others that would be labeled progressive, uh, meaning that kind of what you were saying, trying to make the church basically become like the modern times, embrace the modern times, uh, embrace modernism itself and and have it be a part of the church and change the church. Even the, uh, Pope Francis himself have a- has actually said, uh, quoting another theologian, but still said the words where it's not that we're trying to establish another church, it's that we're trying to change the church. What? <laughs> Which is literally meaning that yeah. you're trying to establish a different <laughs> church because, again, it was this weird way of trying to, again, okay. using wordsmithing to try and argue for something and try and claim like, oh, no, but we don't mean that. We mean this. But it's the same thing. And so you have a, a very um, small but very passionate group of, of traditional minded Catholics that are drawn to. Uh, for instance, the traditional Latin mass. So prior to Vatican II of the 1960s, mass had been celebrated not just in Latin, but it was an entirely different rite. It, it was an entirely different way of liturgical worship. So it wasn't just that it was in Latin, because some people have this conception where they think the only thing that changed during Vatican II was, oh, the mass is just in English now, and maybe a few prayers here and there. But By the way, the Vatican II re- sounds like a really great sequel. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, no, seriously, right? I know it's the best sequel of them all in the church, at least. Um, and uh, but anyway, it's interesting just because um, of how wrong it is. Because if you actually break down the prayers, only about 
depending on the study you look at, about 13 to 20% of the previous right is maintained within the current one. And so that's why when you mentioned had, had you had gone to a Catholic church, I was wondering, I bet it was what's known as a novus ordo, new okay, order. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that would have been in English with the priest facing you. Maybe the priest went during the homily. This is something that drives me nuts, would be in the front of the altar walking around, right? Oh, it's all about me. It's the me show. Maybe you'd hear some applause after, uh, you know, and so that is very much a part of this new um, okay. real iteration. Whereas for traditional Catholicism, it's, it's much more about, no, no, no. The priest doesn't face us. He faces God. He faces the East. He faces the tabernacle. He literally is worshiping God with us. We are all oriented in the same direction. Uh, Latin, not everyone knows Latin. That's why we have hand missiles, right? Where we can follow along if we want to. But the point of it is that we're there to offer prayers in union with those around us, in union with the priest. But the priest, as priest, is there to offer sacrifice because that's what's going on. It is a sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that happened 2000 years ago on Calvary made present and real for us in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And that is what the purpose of it is. Whereas with Vatican II, it became, no, 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 it's not God centered. It's man centered. It's all about us. It's all about how we feel. It's all about, um, you know, it's all about us feeling like we're getting something out of it. Whereas beforehand it was, no, no, no. What are we offering to God? It, Cause so this is the purpose church, of this worship. Does your church, the, the priest faces away from you? So we have, so the church that I go to, it's one where it's, uh, it has both. So there is a, a Latin mass, uh, every Sunday, which is actually something that we had actually had to work to. And then the other masses are all, uh, what's called versus populum. So facing the people. And then we celebrate that mass at Orientum. So facing the East, uh, facing the, the altar. And so that's the one I go to. And last weekend was actually an interesting one because all the priests that could celebrate it were out of town and, uh, the week before the priest who was the pastor had to explain saying there's not going to be a traditional mass, but I want everyone here to know that we got a very traditional priest, but he can't celebrate the old mass because he doesn't know it. But don't worry, he's very <laughs> traditional, almost trying to sell us. Like, it's like you start to listen. You say, if you have to do this much to try and get us to basically to come <laughs> back and not go find it because the other church, the nearest church that celebrates the Latin mass is about an hour away. And uh, a lot of people went to that church even after okay. That, but I stayed because I help with like live streaming. I help to, because um, there's still some people that are older and uh, are, are more afraid. And so they watch online. And so I went to, because I've been helping with that. And it's just being there had been the first time on a Sunday I'd gone to a Novus Ordo mass. It had been the first time in several years that I'd gone to one. Um, because I've been, I go to one for school because school, it's, it's yeah. very much not, uh, you know, most schools aren't. Uh, traditional in, in at least liturgy, but it was so jarring for me because I realized just how different the two rites really are. They are. So do you find, see my thing about the Latin mass, the Catholic church I was going to, by the way, it was in English. They were facing us, except I went to the Christmas services twice mm -hmm. and those were in Latin and they were facing away. And oh, wow. yeah, the, um, the thing about when it's in Latin, isn't it, don't you think it's sort of there's the danger of people not connecting to what's being said at all or the message or isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why it's, it really is reliant upon a well-catechized faithful 
to be able to see someone struggling and, and go up to them and say, hey, uh, you know, I see that you're a little confused, like and to give them like advice of say, hey, here's my missile if you want to follow along with me or, hey, I can, you know, help you out with this. Right. And like that's kind of what we're called to do, because one of the beautiful things about it is that there actually is no what's known as a rubric or instruction for the faithful. So when you stand and when you kneel, there actually really is no um, designated time for that. And so some people think oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. But in reality, it's you typically just whatever everyone else around you is doing pretty much if you're following along with them, it's it's not a big deal. But some people you'll see will kneel at different times. Some mm -hmm. people will do different. And so because there's really no specific instructions there. Uh, and the beautiful thing to me about it is that because obviously when we talk about the mass being in English, or in any of the languages, right? That's that's a local language. People say, oh, but people can finally understand what's going on. But then I think to myself, okay, but think about if I went to another country. If I went to a Latin mass, guess what? I'm sitting next to someone that doesn't speak my language. We're, we're experiencing the mass in the same way, in the same mm -hmm. language. And so we can't speak to each other, but we're speaking in the same language to God. We're speaking the same uh, language in our prayer. So yeah. it's, it is definitely something that leads to people kind of being pushed away from it because it's jarring, right? Because you're, wait a minute, I don't know what's going on. And that's why there are these missiles where you can, again, books that you can follow along with the prayers if you want to. But the beauty of that mass is that you don't have to. Uh, with the new <laughs> mass, it's like you feel like you have to respond, right? You know, and with your spirit, right? You, you, like there's these call, it's like call and response. Whereas with the old mass, it's no, you're simply being there present, offering prayer. That's why I'll pray the rosary during the Latin mass. And that's the way that I am, offering worship and praying for the priest to offer a good and holy sacrifice on my behalf. And that's one of the beauties that I find with that mass specifically. You know, what I liked about the Catholic church, um, what I appreciated about it was that I, the rosary and the other prayers that even though, and my, and my husband was raised Catholic, by the way. So mm -hmm. people sometimes do the Catholic prayer I'll be like, do the fast Catholic prayer before you eat. <laughs> oh, the you know, grace, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fast, fast grace. It's fast Almost on the levels of hook, prayer. right? You know, it's like yeah. that quick in comparison. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. But, but so I, what I like about those, though, is that they're somewhat meditative. Mm -hmm. And especially because you're also doing the beads. And so you're doing something tactile while you're saying the prayers. And I don't know, there's just something I can't really put into words about it that, that it's different than the kind of prayers I'm used to doing um, where I'm having to articulate what it is that's in my mind and my heart. And these are written for you. And someone just gave me a book of liturgy. It's called mm -hmm. every moment holy. And they have different prayers for different uh, events or celebrations, or like they have one for morning coffee. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and, and that's something really beautiful about it because it's already written out and articulated for me. And I can still yeah. be conscious and think about what the words mean but it's already written out for me. It's, it's just yeah. a different kind of prayer. So I appreciated that about it. Yeah. But. And that's why, and, and, and some people had that perspective where they think that the church is only formal formalized written prayer, but there actually is very much a rich tradition. in as you mentioned with the rosary, yeah, you're saying the, the hail Mary several times, but during that time you're meditating. So, uh, you know, there is this, this room for, you know, basically alternative types of prayer. Also, the, the church is not opposed to having informal prayers either. Um, but it is interesting, right? Because like when you think about grace, for instance, right? I, uh, being in a uh, multi, because uh, my, my wife, she is of a different faith background. And so 
it's interesting because whenever we're with her family, whenever Grace is said, it's one of the informal, but usually it's can be a little bit more on the longer side, right? Because yes. you're, you're thanking everyone who's there. It's like, thank you for yeah. having us all here together and everyone. And thank you for this. And thank you for that. Like, like trying to touch every single person in the group. And then it's like, okay, okay, gotcha. Whereas with the, yeah, as you mentioned with the Catholics, it's like, bless us the Lord. And these, I guess we're about to receive from that bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Boom. Okay. We're, Amen. We're good, Boom. You know? <laughs> It's, it's so I totally it's understand, for, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you're really hungry, it's great. And it precedes the, uh, there's a German phrase. I don't know it. My husband knows he speaks German. There's a good, there's a German phrase that literally means hungry silence. And mm-hmm. it's what happens when all the talking ceases during a meal because everybody's <laughs> so hungry. So I always know when we do the fast Catholic prayer, there's going to be the hungry silence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see so I love hungry. that though. Yeah. Hungry silence. <laughs> yeah. I, I love I'm a big fan of the hungry silence because I, I like to enjoy my meals. So Yeah. So tell me, okay, let's get it back for any, I think all the yeah. atheists might've tuned out by now. Who knows? Yeah, I know. But uh, <laughs> I, thank you. I appreciated this. Of course. I want to get it back though to movies. And yeah. one of the things I've noticed that you do on Friday night tights, which I'm going to let you go soon. Cause I know you got to get over to that show, but yeah. uh, they always ask you to talk about, to review pizzas. <laughs> How did that that start? (laughs) Yeah. So basically, you know, and and for those that might be watching from Friday Night Tights, I think that maybe about an hour ago, they said, this is the most that I've heard him speak. This is the most words that I've ever heard heard him say, uh, because when you're on a panel, right, it's, it's sometimes harder to be able to always, you know, especially when, again, probably also why I'm known as the Christian, because I try and be polite. And so I don't like to speak over people. I don't like to interrupt people. And that's why it's actually one of the challenges is always I, especially when, um, when my son who's just hit a year the other day, which it's just still like just insane. Um, but one of the things that was earlier on is that I'd always leave around the same time because of sleep schedules and things like that. And I would always put in our private chat. I always be like, Hey, I I have to head out. And if you know anything about uh, Gary, as much as I love Gary, he can be a bit of a boomer sometimes. Uh, and so he doesn't always read the the messages that we have. And so oftentimes like Jeremy or one of the others would have to say, oh, by the way, Odin's got to leave now. And he's just too <laughs> polite to, to say anything. And so I've had to like kind of will myself to be a little bit more trying to wait for those quiet moments Jumping. of transition to say, hey, by the way, before we move on to that, I need to. But uh, so anyway, because of that, though, one of the things that I, I do is I love to interact with the chat. And so typically around the time the show starts is usually when we have dinner. And so at first it started off with just me eating during that time. And then eventually (laughs) there was a pattern where I'd have, I had pizza a few weeks in a row and people in the chat started noticing, Odin's always eating pizza and always looks so delicious. Always looks so good. And so eventually I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to have pizza every, every Friday now. And and then eventually really more recent uh, compared to the length of the show, as far as how long it's been on um, was the pizza cam. And so I I have an app on my phone that allows me to literally show pictures of my, so now it's this whole thing where people are like, show us the pizza, show us the pizza. Um, Cause it used to be where it could be a different topping or a different type. Whereas now it's very consistent. It's like, it's always pepperoni. It's always, you know, made by me with extra pepperonis on it. And uh, so, yeah, it kind of just naturally developed of just, hey, I need to eat. And I'd often be eating pizza and people recognize it. And so I decided to. Uh, okay. 
embrace I it. I thought, here's what I thought. I thought you were slowly working your way through the frozen pizza aisle and reviewing every type of frozen pizza the way <laughs> that you review want movies. Me That's what they want me to do. Yeah, people want me to create a pizza blog. So there's always people saying, oh, it's pizza blog. It needs to happen. Make it happen. Um, so, and maybe one day I, I, I will, but I've, I find myself always becoming very fond of certain types and so right now what's been for a while now it's it's a newer type of pizza it, it's actually got a croissant crust so it's the giorno's croissant crust pepperoni nice. and so i have that and then i add my own pepperonis and uh a subscriber recently sent me a care package which included tiny mini pepperonis wow as well as three different meats for for the different seasons so That's it was like elk person. and buffalo or like yeah. or maybe not buffalo but like elk and like three different sausages to have on my pizza <laughs> what a thoughtful <laughs> gift oh yeah absolutely i love it i was like oh i can use it. i'm gonna actually use this stuff yeah well okay so i i want to thank you for being here i'm gonna let you go because yeah. i know you've got friday night tights and um we, I just want to tell people where they can find you online. I know we spent a lot of this episode talking about faith, but if you want to check out the movie blog, yeah, I know. <laughs> you can do so. Tell people where they can find you online. Yeah. So on YouTube and on Odyssey, uh, I'm at OMB Reviews. So you can just, just Google search or and YouTube search OMB Reviews. It'll pop up on uh, Odyssey. It should pop up there as well. If for any reason it doesn't, you can type in Odin's movie blog. And at the very least, it will pop up there. Because as I said, um, even though I have changed the name, it still only will pop up if you if you put one or the other in. But I, I do content uh, every day, actually. Every day I have a video up. Um, typically about box office, sometimes movie reviews, things like that. And it's uh, usually every morning. It's part of my routine where I get up early, record a video so that I can get it that done before going to work. And so OMB reviews on YouTube and on Odyssey. And uh, also I do a live show and kind of interesting. You mentioned about the faith. I do uh, a live show every Tuesday and Saturday on OMB reviews. And uh, it's called the Welcome to Asgard podcast. And that's, again, something that's kind of developed over time. But during those shows, even though I have titles for what we're talking about, usually the chat takes on a life of its own. And there's been several times where we've gone down the conversation of faith and and philosophy and modern events. And so it's not all movies all the time in the live shows specifically. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot of movies, but it's also a lot of other stuff going on in the world around us. It's too, the best so. kind of conversations. And, yeah. and right now I really find that that's where it's happening is in new media because people are, they're not, they're not coming in. They're not uh, talking heads, mm -hmm. you know, there to get a few talking points out. It's more of just like, let this unfold organically and see where it goes. And interesting conversation with interesting people. I'm so grateful that you lent us your time and your wisdom today. And, well, thank uh, you for inviting me. I was yeah. very happy when I got. I was like, "Oh, yes, I've been wanting to." Because on wanting the to last, talk to you. the last time you were on Friday Night Tights, there were a couple things you said, and they were very, yeah, very Christian of you. And I was always like, I was always like, <laughs> "Yes," I was like, "Yes," I'm totally free. I'm like, "Yes," I was like, "There's someone else. There's someone else." Yes, I can talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate talking to you, Odin. I hope you have a, a beautiful day and a beautiful weekend. I forget you, you have the, you've still got a nine to five. I, I forget what day it is now. I'm just like, I work on Saturdays too. So I'm like, I don't even know. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, luckily this was my uh, fall break. Uh, so we were off uh, cool. as we're going from first to second quarter. So this has been a wonderful week for me. And, uh, but last weekend before going back into the grind with the second quarter. Well, have fun and thank you very much. Bye guys.
Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and scheduled for ideological vaccination. To avoid cancellation, please update your ideological contact tracing app on your smart device immediately. Here's a fun fact. Only vaccinated black lives matter. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice, Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake. <laughs>